Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 890. This week I'm at SEMA in Las Vegas talking with some very inspiring automotive enthusiasts. So here we go. So I came up with my own mantra that has truly worked every time, and I think I definitely found the secret to success, and that is fail your way to success. Just face plant your way all the way to success. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to SEMA Week here on Cars. Yeah, I am revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, Rachel De Barros. Rachel, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Most definitely five-point harness engaged. <laughs> All right, I love it. Rachel De Barros is the chief marketing officer, host, and executive producer for Gearhead Diva. It's a DIY car building community and network producing edutainment-style videos for today's social generations. She's an active contributor to a number of automotive forums, online publications, social media networks, shows, and community events. Rachel is a member of the SEMA Businesswoman's Network and SEMA Young Executives Network and is participating in a number of SEMA builds this year, including a very cool Mustang. You'll see Rachel on the Velocity Channel's All Girls Garage and the show Big Fuel Garage. And this week, I'll be catching up with Rachel in the Covercraft booth at SEMA to talk cars and Covercraft's new and innovative products. But today, we're going to learn a lot more about Rachel. So I've told our listeners just a little bit about you. Would you take a brief moment, share a little bit more about your career and your passion for automobiles? Sure. It actually started in a completely different career. Uh, I was in dental school and, and doing really well and just always miss working with my hands. And I just decided, you know what, this isn't for me. And I started working on a 1973 CUDA just for fun. And I started posting pictures online and people loved it in forums. I basically live in the forums yeah. and it, it didn't really matter if you're a female, male. People like the fact that I was just undertaking this huge project with basic tools, a basic garage, you know, nothing too fancy like a formal restoration shop. And this began to uh, blossom. And I had already been working in marketing after leaving dental school and it turned into a digital YouTube show called Gearhead Diva. And then later, I decided to launch an entire network called Big Fuel Garage and where it expands beyond cars to all kinds of DIY lifestyle programming. You know, this is so cool. And it's interesting, too. You started with dental school, where I guess when somebody sits down in a chair, you could say open the hood and you'd start working with your hands on people's teeth. But I, what an interesting start. And then how did you get involved with Velocity in the All Girls Garage group? Oh, geez. Well, my parents actually came from Brazil. So I'm a first generation uh, U.S. here. And having come with nothing, parents always want the best for their children, you know, become a doctor, become a lawyer. And I very much love science and physics and engineering and all that. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I just continued down that uh, path doing really well in school, but not necessarily loving it because that wasn't something that wasn't super instilled. It's like make your living first, make sure you're 
comfortable and then do the things you love as a hobby. Mm-hmm. Well, why not do your hobby as a business and actually make a living doing that? And so when I made the big leap from dental school, I was a little bit lost. I didn't really know what to do. I ended up in recording studios because I am a musician. I play electric violin and piano. So I ended up recording, uh, not playing myself, but actually working as an audio engineer for a while, uh, which then landed me in a symphony orchestra office manager position, which got me involved with their marketing. And then from then on, I really loved programming, got into that and launched my own boutique marketing company. And it's great. You create a lot of things. You work with clients, but also working with clients, it's interesting. You'll find yourself in a box sometimes because you're working to what they want you to build. And sometimes you have bigger ideas that, you know, perhaps they're not on board with. And it all started with I used to work on cars as a child with my family because my dad was just very If you're going to drive the car and to get your license, you don't just go get your license. He couldn't believe that schools didn't teach uh, how to change a tire, basic car maintenance. What if you get stuck out on the road with no cell phone, especially that time? So in order to get our license, we had to demonstrate to him that we knew how to do a spare tire switch. So (laughs) we demonstrated on a hot summer day, but I finally got my license. And as part of the family, we didn't get cars or anything. We had to drive drive the family car. Yeah. And this was a sexy beast. <laughs> it was a 1980s Oldsmobile Forenza. A Forenza. Well, it sounds yes. like a Ferrari, kind of, maybe. Not really. <laughs> In one's dreams, it sounds like a Ferrari. But needless to say, I was getting no hot phone calls. There was no dates uh, showing up. So I actually had to develop a personality in high school, which sucks. It's so much easier to drive up in a really hot car and then turn heads that way. Oh, yeah. Um, But I actually had to learn to talk to boys, which was another frightful experience for a, you know, a a different uh, interview. You know, we all have our high school stories, but it develops character. Uh But I had grown up working on, on the car with my parents and maintaining the car, just basic things. And when I finally got into marketing, I missed that kind of hands-on type of jobs and really dreaming something in your head and building it with your hands. So I just decided to get a project car. You know, I I love Mopars, especially Barracudas and Cudas, late 60s, early 70s. Anything after like mid 70s, it starts to kind of go downhill in the the muscle car market, (laughs) oil embargo and all that. So I found a 1973 Cuda and the price wasn't that bad. And I was an experience at this time. I've never done restoration. Mm-hmm. So I figured I'd get a cool uh, classic. They're easy to work on in terms of wiring and components. You know, obviously the rust is a whole adds a whole other level of challenge. <laughs> yes. And I go out there and by the time I drive all the way up to Jersey, the sun is setting. But two things look good in dim light. Uh, cars and chicks. You know, that's the only things that look good in dim light. So I'm like, this car looks great. Look at the paint. I drove it around. It sounded great. I took it home, put it in the driveway. And like a lot of dates, you wake up and you're like, what did I do? The sun is beaming on it. I already see the rust bubbling up above the paint. Yeah. It's starting to poke through. And I thought, man, I got a serious uh, project on my hands. But 
I didn't let that deter me. I just started to uh, work on it and get stuck like everybody. Nobody likes to admit they get stuck on how to tackle a, a rust spot or how to remove certain components. So I hit the forums and instead of being ridiculed, people actually gathered around and, oh my gosh, I had the same problem. This is how I tackled it. We became kind of a close-knit family. Yeah. Well, in doing marketing, well, I'm like, well, I, I build uh, revenue generating sites for clients all the time. And there was such a need and an interest for communities to gather and talk cars and problem solve. And I'm kind of the only female at that time that I found in the forums. So why not launch like a show or like a blog for females? I mm. thought this was a great idea. But at that time, unfortunately, there just wasn't enough women to support a business like that. If you really think about it, name me one really successful female magazine and think many years back, like a decade back that would compete with like a hot rod magazine sure. that would compete with a major magazine. Not very many. And it's not because no one tried it or people thought it was a dumb idea. It's just kind of premature at that time. Luckily, now, fast forward, it's a great idea. There's so many more women getting into the field and it's just increased every year. But this turned into Gearhead Diva, which was a series of YouTube videos of me fixing cars, doing work on my CUDA. Well, lo and behold, that kind of got the attention of several production companies. They started wanting to put me in pilots. Some of the ideas were horrible and I just stuck to my guns. They wanted me to do a show where I would get in disguise and go into a shop and let them rip me off. And then I was going <laughs> to remove my disguise. Then it was a showdown. Oh my gosh. This is just the dumbest thing I ever heard because these automotive shops, these mechanics, they're my peers. They're yeah. my friends. Why am I going to go and dog them? Right. I mean, if somebody is honestly ripping off, it doesn't really matter male, female. Ripping off is ripping off. Yeah. But then uh, Velocity came along and I got a Facebook message from them. So I'm like, yeah, that's highly suspect. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> Send us $5,000 and we'll put you on the TV show. <laughs> exactly. And so I called up and found out, no, they're legit and uh, flew down for an audition in which I had to repair a cowl induction for a Chevelle on the hood and then put in a new brake booster. Uh, so the whole <laughs> cylinder has to come off that whole deal. Yeah. Uh, so they wanted to make sure you can uh, work on cars while talking. And mm -hmm. I'm not a TV person. A lot of people think, you know, a lot of people on TV are actors, you know, were mechanics first. And I actually had to learn how to be on TV and talk and, and do things at the same time when you're working in the shop, for instance, and you're doing a suspension job, right. you're in front of that suspension, shaking it off. Well, on TV, you the camera needs to see what you're doing. So sometimes you're doing work in, in a funky position where perhaps you don't have that force that you need to apply. Right. So all those funny tricks that you had to learn. This is how you do it in the garage. This is how you do it on camera so people can actually see what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. Very cool. Yeah. What a wonderful story and what a what a road of trails you've gone down too. I mean, just through all sorts of different ways. And we're going to learn a lot more about you. But first, I want to ask you for a success quarter, a mantra, something that has meaning for you. It's a nice way to get the wrenches turning in your case or the inspirational tires turning here on Cars. Yeah. So Rachel, take the wheel. Cool. So this is the part where I say something truly inspiring <laughs> of to course. blow someone's knock up, you know, and they're like, wow, if I only did this instant success for me. <laughs> well, unfortunately, 
I got bad news. Uh-oh. Every single success quote that I ever tried to follow, like, be yourself, believe in yourself, <laughs> dream big, and then build it. Well, let me tell you, none of that ever worked for me. <laughs> none of it. The secret where if you want it bad enough, it'll happen. Eh, no, it doesn't. So I came up with my own mantra that has truly worked every time. And I think I definitely found the secret to success. Mm-hmm. And that is... Fail your way to success. Ah. Just face plant your way all the way to success because we all have periods of time in our life where we feel stuck and you're working a lot of hours and, and you're doing you're trying to push forward. But year after year, it just doesn't seem like you're going anywhere. Mm-hmm. And so I started looking at other successful people. There must be a commonality that they all have, like the Steve Jobs, the Bill Gates, all of those guys that have actually propelled them forward. And I found the one thing that unites them all. All these guys had received in the triple digits of rejections. Mm -hmm. For instance, Walt Disney rejected over 300 times from bankers that thought his mouse idea was totally stupid. Same thing with Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, the Beatles. It's the failure number that unites them all. And of course, my favorite fail of all time is Harlan David Sanders. And Sanders should strike a chord because that's (laughs) Colonel Sanders of Kentucky Fried Chicken fame. And he started his dream at 65. So this guy comes around and he comes up with a secret chicken recipe that he tries to sell to restaurants and it was rejected over a thousand times. So he is the professional, you know, failing guy. (laughs) Master failure. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. So the day that I set out to, I'm like, it's this three digit fail thing. So I bought a book, like one of those uh, notebooks. Mm -hmm. And I said, this year I'm going to work towards getting 100 fails. Brilliant. I have a year to amass 100 fails. So I was looking for sponsorships for my Gearhead Diva show, like uh, sway bars and, uh, you know, all these kinds of things to put on the car to make cool shows. I figured the cooler the parts that I'm putting on this car, the better. Race car drivers are constantly looking for sponsored parts. Mechanics in their first interviews or perhaps they're trying to launch their own shop. Guys, go out there, buy a book and log a hundred fails because this is what I found. I put together my little proposal. I went for the first company and yeah, they were totally not interested. Uh, and I spent time talking to them. You know, what, what about the proposal or what are you not seeing, uh, for the people that you do give sponsorship to is what are they bringing to the table? Mm-hmm. And I started to learn and my proposals over the failure started to get better and better because anytime you're going to pitch something, whether it is uh, parts, a paid sponsorship, or you're pitching yourself for an interview, It's very similar to going up a river in a rubber raft. And those people are going to start throwing darts at it, (laughs) you know, the raft. (laughs) So you have to learn to come up with the patches real quick and anticipate what they're going to find wrong and fix it in your proposal or fix it in your interview. So if you're interviewing for a mechanics position or an apprenticeship position, your first interview, first couple interviews are going to be rough. But the more you do them, you kind of find they ask the same questions. Mm -hmm. And by your 10th interview, you are like Neo in the Matrix answering the question before it even comes out of their mouth (laughs) because you failed enough times. So my proposals just got uh, 
you just couldn't fire any holes through it because it was locked tight. Right. My digital stories got better because I didn't have fancy stuff to put on cars. And I thought that's what I needed to develop programming that people really liked. Mm-hmm. And I found that's not true at all. They like to hear the story and your struggle and why you're doing the brake job. And, and so I did simple things like brake jobs and oil changes, you know, to get started. Right. But what that did is grew my numbers. So then when I went back to certain sponsors, now they're looking at bigger numbers and they're like, okay, now we can give you parts. And so my test turned out true for me. Mm. Uh, As soon as I approached that 100 fail number, that's when the production company started calling Mm. and the velocities uh, started calling and all these other opportunities to do fun SEMA builds started coming about because uh, you get online, you build a personality, you're easier to find, Mm -hmm. your name starts to get around where perhaps you didn't have the best pitch, but boy, did you have heart. So fail your way to success to start beginner level, amass 100 fails within a year. And you'll see by the by when you start getting to that 100, things are going to start to turn. Brilliant, brilliant. Dare to fail. I love this. I love this. Well, this is a great segue into my next question for you. And that is a big failure that you faced. I want you to take us to one that really was defeating, one that really kind of knocked you back on your heels. But more importantly, what did it teach you? Now, you've got hundreds to choose from. So select carefully. Why, yes. So this was during my marketing days when I was still doing cars as a hobby. And I was a Flash animator. Now, Flash is a program that is still around, but long defunct. You know, when you would visit a site and it was all animated and and crazy like that, that was the big thing, I would say, probably a decade ago. Well, come Apple and they decided, well, we don't want Flash anymore. And so search engine optimization and search engines started to grow and flash sites cannot be read by search engines. Mm. So your site is not going to rank high. And so when I was doing marketing for my clients, this is the only skill I had. Mm. And it Overnight, I mean, they, they were kind of hinting at it. Nobody believed it. I mean, f- the nice thing about Flash is that it's such a unique skill that you can command more money for being a Flash programmer versus being other types of programmers back in the, back in the day. So overnight, my income kind of dried up. And I had worked so hard to start my business. I had made so many sacrifices. And could it really be over? I mean, it's just over. And that taught me that you need to diversify. And so I hear a lot of either publications or people who work in the muscle car realm, like, oh, those Priuses and making fun of the electric cars and never me. Well, you're going to find yourself in in the same (laughs) uh, boat. So I always look to, I love old muscle, late 60s, early 70s, but there's so many cool and unique today things that you can do, like putting in modern drivetrains, really uh, infuse tech with uh, your older car. And this makes it appealing to future generations. So be careful of boxing yourself into one skill because technology now is moving so fast and skills are moving so fast that you need to kind of look at what's coming ahead of you and start learning on your off time. And that just makes your your company and yourself just that much more long-lived. 
You're just tossing golden nuggets all over the place today, Rachel. I love this. I'm telling you the truth. I'm not going to come here with <laughs> rainbows and to believe in yourself and, and all this kind of because it just didn't work for me. Right. You pointed that picture out very well. And yeah. it's the same thing for like taxi drivers when uh, Uber came along. They kind of laughed at the whole idea. Now they're yeah. going, uh-oh, what happened to my job? Where are my fares? Same with the hotels with Airbnb. I mean, it just it never ends and it's moving faster and faster every day. So those are great Great. I remember Flash. Oh, so well. Oh, yeah. yeah. Those, oh, geez. <laughs> that when thing. I look at those sites now, I'm like, oh, I can't believe I did that. I know. I know. Well, it's what but the... it was the hot thing. It was like crimping your hair in the 80s. You <laughs> rock it. Yeah. I wouldn't know. I didn't even have hair in the 80s either. So uh, uh, we won't go there. I blame my parents. Let's <laughs> shift gears and go to the other end of the spectrum. How about a career aha moment? It sounds like you've had many. And it sounds like what I love about you, Rachel, is when you see a fork in the road, you're not afraid to take either way because there's always going to be an adventure down the road. But there's one huge aha moment that stands out for you. Yeah. So again, this may not be the most uh, cheering, like I won this award or I was a part of this cool build and I worked with this wonderful set of people, which I, you know, work with amazing people. But I remember the day that I let go of my last client for my marketing company, you have a series of clients. And as Gearhead Diva became popular, and I started looking to, uh, in addition to doing the velocity thing, uh, the primary business, I decided to launch it into a greater network Mm -hmm. with shows beyond automotive, with home improvement, electronics, and all that. I was still making, depending on clients, you know, to supplement. It's like when you bleed yourself off of your day job to launch your, your final company, it's really hard because you're putting in nine to five with your day job or longer than having to come home. You have family commitments, you have all kinds of time commitments, but you have to sacrifice that to build this other business that you want to transition into. So for me that day that I called that last client, I completed their project and I would no longer renew the contract, you know, for their website or whatever it is I was doing. Man, I was 100% paying my bills with my business. That was just the greatest feeling. Also scary because if that fails and, you know, Uh I'll be calling that client back real quick. Hello. I'm back. (laughs) Exactly. But that was my greatest aha moment. And it meant that all the sacrifices I made had paid off. All those fails that I had amassed in my book finally paid off. And it's really difficult to get to that point. And you want to give up a lot. And as you get raises with your day job, it makes it more difficult and difficult to leave. And it's easy to become complacent Mm -hmm. and just kind of let your dream and and your big idea go. Yeah. Ah, wonderful story. Well, it's a great segue into my next question. And that is a proudest career moment. I would assume you've had many of those. But is there one that stands out that you could share? Sure. So my proudest career moment was definitely transitioning Gearhead Diva. This is this is actually more the aha moment, whereas my other one I just described was my proudest moment. But it also uh, is in the same vein. But when I started the whole Gearhead Diva thing, I decided oh, I'm going to make something for women. And I made the, the site pink and, you know, things that I thought appeal to them because I had spent so much time working with clients and making things that I thought that they would like to make them happy and close the the deal and, you know, eventually get paid. So I was doing the same with my own business and building it for other people. And it wasn't until 
man, it just wasn't going anywhere until I made it about rather than putting the gender foot forward, I put the passion foot forward. Hmm. And that's when people really started to gravitate towards what I was doing. And so I learned that ever since. Stay, uh, stay true to yourself. Put your passion foot forward because that's something people can relate to. Saying that I'm a woman and I can do this too. It's kind of like casting a buoy, a line to somebody in the ocean, but there's no buoy at the end. There's mm. nothing for them to grab out onto. Yeah. And so just leading with your passion and having them say, wow, I had the same problem. And then you just really hit it off and you have a, an emotional connection that you can't get with otherwise. And so from that moment on, that's all I've been doing is just leading with my personality and my passion. Some people love it. Some people won't. You know, please everybody. <laughs> you have a wonderful personality. This is so much fun. Well, let's talk about your first really special car or vehicle. Is there one that really stands out for you? Yes. And that would be getting back to my super fine <laughs> 1980s Oldsmobile Forenza because none of my parents were mechanics. And this wasn't a special car in terms of iconic or a head turner or anything. It was more of a, a Broomhilda mm. uh, on our driveway. But this is the I've always loved to do mechanics and, and always loved to work with my hands. And growing up, I had always liked to take apart the VCR or any type of appliance my uh, parents brought home. Now, of course, not all the screws or bolts made it on. Uh, some would say <laughs> yeah. you didn't assemble it correctly. I say weight reduction and I, built it, I made it more efficient. There you <laughs> go. <laughs> but this was my first real hands-on experience with cars. And at that time, I was doing it more as a function of getting my license and wanting that teenage freedom uh, that we all wanted at the time. And as soon as I got my freedom, you know, I kind of just did it because my parents told me to, like, you have to gas up the car and who's got the oil change turn? Is it me or my sister? Mm -hmm. And it was more of a chore. But it wasn't until college that I really started to uh, use that knowledge to make money on the side, paid my own way through college. And so what I did was put an oil change kit in my backpack and bike to upperclassmen houses and do, you know, brake jobs, oil jobs. Oh my gosh, that's and so cool. all that stemmed from the knowledge that I worked on the Forenza and applying that to all kinds of different cars. Yeah. And I figured I'll make money this way. So I made a bunch of flyers and put them up with my name and sat by my, you know, dorm room phone <laughs> yeah. waiting for it to ring. And nothing. I'm like, man, no flyers. I papered the whole campus. Yeah. So then I made the, the signs blue and I said, call Jimmy. And man, the phone started to ring. I started getting phone calls and I'd book my appointments and then I'd show up to do the job. And they're like, wait a minute. You're you know, not Jimmy. <laughs> Jimmy. And I say, oh, Jimmy does this all the time, you guys. He double booked himself. But don't worry. I'm, I'm on Jimmy <laughs> all these jobs. A few of them eventually figured out that there was no Jimmy. No Jimmy, but, yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it all started from that car wow. to college and then eventually into the 1973 Cuda that I got and beyond. Yeah. Well, there's some early marketing prowess on your end, uh, determining what was the marketing flaw here? Why was this not working and inventing Jimmy? Man, you are one smart lady. How about seller's remorse? Is there a car you've let go that you really wish you could have back? Oh, yes. And it was uh, like all of us. For love that I let this <laughs> car go. So I was down the beach uh, with my then boyfriend. And we were biking and we were kind of, we had been going out for a while and this guy was having, I think it was an estate sale because he had a bunch of things outside and he had 
1970s second gen Camaro split bumper. Now it's my favorite Camaro. Mm. And I'm like, oh, and he was only asking $5,000 for it. And it ran, but you know, for 5,000, he didn't really know cars. He just wanted to get rid of all this stuff. He wasn't really interested in this home or anything. And he wanted to get back to another part of the country where he lived by the end of the weekend. But here I am with my boyfriend and I'm like, oh, I don't want to sit here doing a deal that's going to kind of crush our whole bike ride, (laughs) you know, then having to register the car. I'm like, you know what, let's finish our bike ride and I'll come back and get it. You Mm -hmm. know, so we finish our bike ride and, you know, cue the sunset and all that stuff. So we bike back to do the deal and the car is Is gone. gone. It's just gone. And you know, well, we're married now, so it's, it's, we're all happy. <laughs> well, there is some, there is some, are some flowers and sausages at the end of the story here. Exactly. So, <laughs> so it, it all ended up being good, but that, that was one where, you know, you just drive by a car even on the highway or, or in a neighborhood. Stop people, even yeah. if you have like the best date ever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They'll understand. They'll understand. Well, let's talk about what has you excited today. Now we're talking about SEMA this week. And I know that you've done a pretty cool build for SEMA that the folks that are lucky enough to go to SEMA, this will be my 25th year in a row going to SEMA. Oh my gosh. I've been going there a long time. If I added up all the miles I've walked in SEMA, oh my gosh, it'd been a lot of miles. But I, I understand it's a Mustang. Is that right? Yeah, so that was a build that we actually did a number of years ago. And this was, oh, there goes my dog. <laughs> That's okay. I love dogs. <laughs> yeah, so that, that was a build we did a number of years ago uh, by the SBN. And what they did was reach out to women across the country and bring them in uh, for an opportunity to actually work on vehicles. And for me, I had worked so much with older vehicles, it was kind of a challenge working with the newer vehicles, yeah. uh, getting up under all the plastic. And so so it was it was a first it was i believe the first women's build to unveil at the ford's booth at sema so for all of us it was a, a really big deal and for them it was the first time trying to orchestrate something like this so we had a lot of women each time and going into it i thought this is going to be a disaster because you had 10 women the week before and then 10 well they kept such good notes and such great communication that the project went along and you know Pretty much seamlessly for a SEMA build. Hello, SEMA builds like to throw a lot of wrenches into the mix last minute. But we got there, unveiled it, and I think it was a hit. It was beautiful. Awesome. Awesome. Very, very nice. Well, here's a very introspective question for you, Rachel. If you were a car, what kind of car would Rachel be and why? Oh, geez. There's so many cool ones. (laughs) Like... I'd love to be like a Ferrari or something real fast, like a GT500. But I think I'm going to stick with the 1963 Studebaker Avanti R2. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll stick with that because if we go back in time, you know, Studebaker was having a tough time, you know, so they came out with this Avanti, which means forward in uh, Italian. And it was kind of airplane inspired. I'm also a pilot because they were just trying to create that next generation car. But what's cool about it is that it it had a lot of different facets. It had a supercharger in it as with a 289 engine, and that's a Studebaker 289. And so by the time you put the supercharger on, you know, it produces 289 horsepower. So that's like one horsepower per cubic inch yeah. of engine. Uh, and it's very coveted 
between 1963 and 1964, there are less than 4,000 ever built. And this was their big, like, we're going to save our company with this car. They doodled it, got it, concepted it, uh, if that's a word, uh, conceptualized it, <laughs> and go. then released it to the public in less than a year. Mm-hmm. And if you recall this car on the uh, passenger side, you know, for women, they usually had, you can picture the sales guy, they flip down the little mirror and you can put your makeup. Well, where your airbag goes on today's modern vehicle is actually like a pullout drawer. And it's got a giant mirror and in it you can put all of your makeup. So it's kind of like (laughs) that gentleman's car meets pony car meets, you know, muscle. So it can, you know, stay head to head with all the cars of its time. Yet at the end of the day, it just didn't make it for them. It was a huge fail. Yeah, yeah. For them, but it endured. I mean, today it's one of the best collected cars, you know, in terms of people seeking that car because it is so rare, especially the R2 and even rarer, the R3. But even inside, it brought a lot of those aviation components. So they were really, again, always looking forward to the next thing, which is kind of my motto, but also just you know, loving all the mixes, you have to have a, you know, pony car soul, you know, to make it and you always have to be looking forward. So that car embodies all of that. And, you know, supercharger from the factory, especially in those days, please. I'll take that all day. I think you're the first Avanti, and I'm not surprised you picked something unique like that. So uh, very well done and thought through. Well, Rachel, up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars Yeah sponsors, including my good friends at Covercraft. Being here at SEMA and at the Covercraft booth, I get to see all the cool new innovative products that they sell. One of the neat things they have going on right now is a Covercraft gift card where you can give the gift of protection. If you've got an automotive enthusiast in your family, in your life, and you're wondering, what am I going to get them? They're so hard to shop for. Get them a Covercraft gift card. It's so easy. Just go to Covercraft.com. You can type in the amount you want to give them. They'll send the card off to your friend. It's all taken care of. And they'll end up with something that they will love for years and years and years. Covercraft. It's the product I've been using on my vehicle since 1975. And you should check them out, too. Covercraft is the right choice. Learn more today at Covercraft.com and tell them Mark sent you. That's Covercraft.com. If you own collector cars and still have a little bit of money left over, congratulations. You're ahead of most people. But what should you do with the money you don't spend on cars? Talk to Chris Kimball, Certified Financial Planner Practitioner. For over 20 years, he's been helping people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. And he's a car guy too. Call 253-722-PLAN. Or you can view his website at www.chrisvkimble.com. Make sure your investments are running on all eight cylinders, or 12, or 16. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Member, Finra Sipic. Okay, Rachel, we are back and we're entering the last lap. I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So here we go. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? All right. So best automotive and business advice I ever got was it's okay to say no. Mm. It's it's okay <laughs> to say you don't have to do every single project and do favors for everybody because it ends up creating so much noise that you lose sight of your own career path. And 
you know, in the beginning, you got to do things for free, build up your portfolio. But then at some point you have to, with every opportunity or favor, if somebody's asking you, you have to really look at it as a business and say, okay, well, is this going to, you know, drive up my revenue or put me in a better position or open up a network contact? If not, I mean, do that on your personal time, but it's okay to say no. The the person is not going to be upset with you. No, when to say no. Would you share one of your personal habits you believe has helped contribute to your successes over the years? Sure. And that is set small goals. Like you have that one main goal, whether you want to own your own shop one day, be a race car driver, or like me, really just develop programming that, you know, I hope people are going to watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you, you don't launch that right from the get go. Just take baby steps and not to get overwhelmed. I pick three big things to do each day. Then if you can squeeze in some of the smaller ones, you know, so today I'm going to make these updates to the site. I'm going to get this scripted and then I'm going to shoot B roll for this entire project. Mm. That's it. You know, so just take your main goal and then set daily mini steps to get to it because every time you accomplish a mini step, you know, that just builds up your self-confidence. If you set your goal too high and just absolutely unachievable, you know, it's just really going to be a, a downer. So baby steps get you there. Wise words. Now, how about a resource? There are tons of awesome resources these days, but is there one you'd like to share with our listeners? Sure. So for all the social media that I talk about and we do a lot of live streaming and cutting edge technology stuff, I still depend. My best resource is still forums, which was kind of the earliest form of social media that there is. So all of the car forums, the community sense there is so strong. And if you can't figure out a a problem in terms of installing a part on your car or just to get support for your career, that's definitely the place to go because somebody, I guarantee you, will have encountered the same problem. And they're like, let me walk you through this one because that way you don't make the same mistake. So forums, definitely. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, if I could arrange for you to have a drink with anyone in the automotive industry or field, living or deceased, who would that person be? Oh, dear. There are so many great ones. (laughs) I know. I know. But just recently, uh, I did some work on a 63 Corvette. So Mm. I would definitely like to pose a few questions to Mr. William Mitchell. Mm. And that's uh, Bill Mitchell who designed uh, the split window Corvette. Uh, Because the 1963 is the only model that's got that split window in the back. And it's one of the most highly collectible ones. So if it's so collectible and so great... Why'd they only do it for one year? <laughs> yeah. And it turns out he's like another kind of Avanti guy where he was just really trying to make a car a work of art in the process. And I mean, he fought with his engineers because the problem with the, the uh, split window, if you've ever sat in it and tried to back up, mm-hmm. well, that thing blocks your whole view. So yep. if you're trying to turn or you have to look out that back window, you can't see anything. So that's the first complaint that a lot of buyers started to give dealerships is like, I can't see see anything in this car. And so they discontinued it. But I think 1963, the early 60s is definitely a time where you're kind of coming into that whole like uh, muscle car era. It's coming up. I think it would have been a really great thing just to have a conversation and talk about what was the competition of the time, what it took to push a design like that through, because it just went against all of his engineers were like, no, no, no. But he pushed it through anyways. Well, he was Bill Mitchell. So he did have a little bit of power that those those engineers didn't have. Now, how about a book? Is there a book you've read that you think our listeners would really enjoy? Sure. Now, because I end up 
I spend so much time in the forums and, and yep. all that. I don't actually read dedicated books very much, but I am a huge comic book reader. Oh, oh my gosh. So okay. Any free time that I have, the little free time, and you know, anyone like yourself who runs their own businesses uh, knows how little free time you oh, have. Yeah. So I always like to read something fun and completely non-business related. Uh -huh. So uh, recently I was just cleaning out my closet and I found an old copy of The Watchmen. Oh, so yeah. I started reading that again. So that's a, a great gem. And I have a couple others uh, to, you know, just polish off a little bit. So, yeah, I'm a huge comic book uh, reader. Well, that's another unique answer from a very unique lady here on Cars. Yeah, so very cool. Well, listeners, you can find links to all these great resources that Rachel has shared on her show notes page. Just go to CarsYeah.com, type Rachel, R-A-C-H-E-L, her last name is D-D-E, and then Barros, B-A-R-R-O-S, into the search bar. That page will pop up with all these cool links. All right, Rachel, we're up to the checkered flag. This is where it gets fun. This last question, though, can be a bit of a doozy. I'm going to buy you any cool collector car in the world today. So money's not the issue, but I want you Why, to enjoy thank it. Thank you, Mark. I, oh, you're very welcome. I do this for all my guests. It's a fun, a fun little project I have going along here. Uh, don't worry about the cost, as I said, but I want you to enjoy the car. I want you to drive it, work on it, have fun with it. So what would that car be for? you oh this is so mean <laughs> just one i'm sorry it's you're my 880th or 890th guest oh my gosh uh well losing count i've talked to so many people so that's a lot of cars i've got to give away so i can only afford one Oh my gosh. Well, listen, it kind of sounds like you're made of money if you're giving <laughs> 890 cars away but okay we'll narrow this down Oh, man, I really love like the late 40s, early 50s Mercury Coupe. Mm -hmm. Then there's like the Mercedes Benz 300 SL with those gullwing doors. Yeah. I am a super Mopar fan. I am a Mopar girl through and through. Okay. And if you're a Mopar girl, why not have the most ridiculous Mopar, which was the Superbird 1970? I mean, that car is just ridiculous. It's got it all. <laughs> but. Oh, that's there's just that old soul in me, yeah. and I think I'm going to have to go with the Duesenberg Model J. Ooh, okay. I mean, I'm going way back in time, and Boy. remember that time when just European cars were just so cool. They had just that classy gentleman's look, and then America's answer to that was the Duesenberg, yeah. and at the time, it was the most powerful pre-war American vehicle. I mean, that, that car is classy. I can just drive it up and down the street. You know that's going to turn heads. All the other previously mentioned, uh, aforementioned of vehicles will do the same but this one would be a unique uh head turner i think so uh, yeah that. i'm guessing too you'd want the supercharged model uh, of course yeah yes, i kind of funnies <laughs> i'm sure their superchargers were worked fantastically yeah uh, gordon burig was the designer of that car and, and oh yeah that's one of those iconic cars i am so surprised that you picked that but i'm so excited too because definitely those old cars need somebody who has skills to work on them because they weren't as reliable as the cars we have today even the duesenberg had to be maintained had to be worked on so i would say there's nothing better in my mind is seeing you in your garage working on that duesenberg getting it ready to take your family out for a drive so very nice rachel very nice choice indeed well you have taken me on an awesome ride today i've so enjoyed getting to know you better i want to thank you for sharing your automotive journey with the cars yeah listeners and me is there a little parting piece of wisdom or guidance you might offer our listeners before you drive off into the sunset in that Duesenberg Model J? 
Yeah, so I'm into Duesenberg. The sun is coming down, like that beautiful sunset. And really, it's just to get an idea, believe in it, and just... If you feel stuck in life, you're just not failing hard enough. This is when you have to go into face planting levels. Don't be afraid to do that because <laughs> you will. That's, you know, that's how you, you get success. It, it turns out you can't, you really cannot have one without the other. So rather than to focus on success in your life, start amassing those fails because you learn. Uh, and you fine tune your business, but that's where you really learn about yourself. And you find so many things about yourself that you just come to really love. And you just love the journey that much more. Brilliant, brilliant advice from a very smart lady. How about the many ways that our listeners can follow along with what you're doing these days? Sure. So they can always go to the bigfuelgarage.tv website. That's where we put up all of our videos and we have all new programming coming out this fall after the SEMA madness because that's a show in of itself. You can't compete with SEMA. Right. Uh, so they can certainly go there. And of course, on all the social media networks, if you just Google my name, you'll find me on Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram, the social media platform of your choice. And we can talk. You know, I answer back to people. I put a lot of car humor and a lot of uh, discovered things along my journey. Like, wow, I messed this up and check this out. And, you know, we pick each other's brains. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, you can find Rachel all over the place. And I'll make sure that I put all these links to where to find Rachel on her Cars Yeah show notes page. Just go to CarsYeah.com, type a Rachel into that search bar, and that will come up. So if you're going to be at the SEMA show like Rachel and I, I would make sure that you look for her at the Covercraft booth. She'll be there on Tuesday from 10 to 12. She'll be there on Wednesday from 10 to 12. And she'll be there on Thursday from 2 to 4. I'll be hanging around SEMA as well. So look for both of us. Tap us on the shoulder and say hello. Rachel, thanks for being so generous today with your time and expertise and for sharing your amazing life experiences with our Carjial listeners and with me. Until you and I talk again, I'll see you down the road. Awesome. See you. Thank you. What's every automotive enthusiast dream? To design and build that perfect garage. My friends at Metron Garage are a group of creative talents who've combined their passion for cars with their careers in architecture. Their service includes unique garage design and state-of-the-art fabrication. They will create the coolest custom garage for you in your vehicles. Metron Garage's system features fully engineered commercial grade material and structural framing that's stronger than traditional construction. Their designs are pre-engineered to meet your building codes for fast, bolt-together construction. With over 25 years of experience, you'll see a 3D rendering to visualize your custom garage and the final structure will fulfill all your storage needs. Contact Metron Garage today and begin realizing your dream garage. Go to metrongarage.com. That's metrongarage.com. Garage is built for discerning enthusiasts. Where it's not just a garage, it's where your dream garage comes true. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah! Drive on over to carsyeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!